everybody. It's Wayne with Mark and Areed, and we are so excited that you've come to watch the Eat Community Podcast. We know you're going to enjoy it. We actually did it live originally on our Eat Community webinar series, which we also invite you to come to, but you will love this podcast that you're going to be listening to right now. Hey, everybody. Wayne here from Nampa, Idaho. And for whatever reason, I am not, I have a new computer and I'm not seeing, I'm gonna get rid of that, there we go. I wasn't seeing my webcam, but I've got it now. Um, I am just now setting up my office for, uh, for use moving forward. We did do one other webinar from here. Um, previously, and I think I was of somewhat similar view. This is a window behind me here that we, we have to figure out whether it's best to have it open or closed. I think the backlighting looks pretty cool here, actually. Um, I am representing today with the Colorado State Rams sweatshirt. Yeah. <laughs> um, that, that is where a bunch of my relatives, my kids, and their, their partners went to college, and a lot of my money went there. Um, and I've been an adjunct professor there for uh, a long time. And, uh, and they are playing Air Force this weekend in football. And Air Force is undefeated. And are the top ranked football team in uh, college football team in Colorado right now, which is very rare because usually it's either Colorado State uh, years ago or the University of Colorado and rarely Air Force. Air Force has a tremendous team this year, but Colorado State's been playing pretty well. And um, I think they're uh, going to do a good, uh, have a good, good game with Air Force. So, Anyway, I, I just, I had not worn this sweatshirt in a while, and I thought I would wear it today. Um, this is our Thursday afternoon Talk with Wayne session, and if possible, I'd like it to be more of you asking me questions and you talking, maybe, if you if you agree to, to be able to do that, or um, you coming up with topics. For me to discuss. So Mark is going to be behind the glass and watching the screen to see uh, to see what questions and comments that there are, and I will do my best to uh, just come up with ideas and thoughts and things that we can talk about. Um, again, my wife and I, Deb, are on the, in the middle of a move from Colorado to um, this location, Nampa, Idaho. Nampa is a suburb of Boise, Idaho. And a statistic that I kind of thought was the case, but I validated it recently. Um, this area, which is called the Treasure Valley, um, which includes Boise and Nampa and Caldwell, those are the three biggest cities. Meridian is a suburb also. And, couple of others, Eagle and Star, and then some smaller places. 
and it, it's bordered on the east by the Rocky Mountains and on the west by the Snake River. And the Snake River kind of bends around the valley and goes, goes um, and also becomes the border on the south. And then uh, there are some mountains called the Owyhee Mountains that are on the other side of the Snake. And then the Boise River um, goes in front of the mountains um, where uh, on the east side, actually, I'm going to put up a map here and uh, show that to us for a second here. Um, and if you would, use your fingers and do some typing and ask some questions. Um, I'm going to go back to my Google map and share my screen. So, uh, I'm, I'm using my browser rather than the installed app that I typically have because I haven't installed it on this computer yet. Um, so I've got to work a little bit to figure out what to be doing. Okay, I do share screen. I'll just do that. That will share. And Mark, is it sharing? Yes. Okay. Yep. And I'm going to pull this map up. So it's got a little bit. There we go. Get rid of that. We right now are right um, about here. And, and then I'm going to scroll this out, make it smaller. So we're staying kind of in the middle of the map still, right about there. This is Boise over here. So north straight up, Boise's over here. So these are the Rocky Mountains right here. I'm going to switch to a map view to, to show the geography in just a second, but I wanted to show you the roads first. This is the, the urban area, Boise. Nampa is where I'm at, right over here. This is a very large reservoir called Lake Lowell. Here is the Snake River that I mentioned was on the west. So this is west and south. So notice that it it's turning down here. I'll move the, move the map up. And it keeps going and, you know, it kind of goes down to the west. Boise River comes out of the mountains and there's a reservoir right here that's on it. And then it goes down into the valley. The word Boise means city of trees. And the reason it, it has that name is the Oregon Trail, which is where the settlers came um, to the west on, goes right along the edge of, the, of Boise right here, um, and, then, and then goes out. And when the, when the settlers came, and, and it goes south here, when the, uh, this, this area is very deserty to the south, I'm going to 
keep expanding this a little bit. All of this is a, is a desert. The Oregon Trail goes through right up here by Mountain Home, and then it cuts this way and goes through what's called the Magic Valley towards the east. So as the settlers were coming on the trail, which is through here, this is a high desert, high plains area. The mountains are up this way, and they would come around this corner here not seeing any kind of trees out on the prairie. Instead, it would have been grass and, and sagebrush and other types of desert plants. And then they would come over this little ridge right in here and into Boise. And they would see this huge, beautiful grove of trees all along the Boise River, which flows so the Boise River is flowing here, and it flows over this way and into the snake over in this direction. So it's like this. So that's where the name Boise came from. Anyway, um, let's go to map view real quick here. Go to the... So now you're getting to see a little bit more. There's the mountains, the green show the trees and shows up that way. Uh, this green along the river here is, but look at how sort of brown this was here. Now, the Snake River keeps going down here. Notice there is more trees all along the Snake River. It gets to be a canyon about right here. That's where, if you remember back many years ago now, um, this guy named Evil Knievel tried to jump his motorcycle across the canyon where um, the Snake River goes down through this place called Twin Falls, uh, and he failed, and fortunately he lived. Um, and um, anyway, notice how where the Oregon Trail went, which was up here, th there really wasn't any timbered area. So, and even this area where it shows green all along the snake, that green is not trees. It's really just grasslands. Um, but again, as you got into right here, into Boise, as the trail went up this way, um, it got to be this beautiful um, tree area. So anyway, here's my point. Um, I have just moved back here after 33 years of being away. I, was, I lived here in the uh, late 1980s, you know, all through the 1980s, and, uh, and then moved back. And when I left in, 19, in 1990 and moved to Denver, I'm going to show a map of the Denver area. Let's, let's move down. Let's do that right now. I can zoom out here. Move down to Denver. There's Denver. We're going to blow it up a little bit more. And Denver is very similar in a lot of ways to Boise. The, the mountains are on the east rather than on the west, but there's a river system coming into it. The settlers came from out of the prairie out here, this direction, and all of a sudden they hit the, this beautiful um, mountainous area, and they either had to stop or figure out how to get through it or... And, and, 
case of the Oregon Trail, they went north and went up this way, found a pass over through Wyoming and, and across. But um, it, in 1990, Denver, we compare, remember this size, I don't know, I'll keep it hidden. Let's make this a little smaller or larger. So there's the metro area of Denver. <clears throat> the cities that are considered in the metro area are think cities like Lakewood, Aurora, Littleton, Parker, Highlands Ranch, which is right down here, Broomfield. Um, and when you get farther north, somewhere up here near Longmont, um, Boulder's kind of a, a, a thing in and of itself, and it's sometimes considered to be in the Denver metropolitan area. Sometimes it's considered to be in northern Colorado. Northern Colorado is really Fort Collins south towards Boulder, and sometimes people think it ends somewhere along Longmont or Loveland, and then it goes out onto the plains to Greeley. This is very unpopulated out this direction. Um, when I moved to this area, 1990, and I moved to Parker down here, this area. Um, and now I have recently been living right up here in between Longmont and Loveland. Um, there were about a million people that lived in the Denver metropolitan area. Well, I just saw some statistics that say that's a little less than the number of people that are living right now in the Boise area. And now let's screen back up again. Haven't changed the um, magnification. Let's see how big the Boise area, which includes Love, includes Nampa and Caldwell, we were just looking at, looks like. Here. And if, if you remember what you saw for Denver, it was an area about like this. In, instead, Denver goes north south because the mountains border on one side. In this case, the mountains border on this side. Boise goes really east to west. But this metropolitan area, Boise, Eagle, Meridian, Caldwell, Homedale, Marcy, Nampa, Cuna, that area is now about the same population as what Denver was 33 years ago. So my point is it's growing area um, population wise. And um, I think you'll see a lot of things get to be very similar to what they are or were in, in Denver years ago, uh, 33 years ago. All right, um, by the way, Morley Nelson, very famous name um, in the raptor area, uh, birds of prey, um, did research and, and went all over the world and, and rescued birds and became a huge advocate for them. Um, there's a really cool area down south of where I'm at here called the birds of prey um, national conservation area. And I, uh, I've been there in the past, but I haven't been there recently at all. So I'm looking forward to 
being able to do that sometime soon. Mark, are you seeing any questions? I haven't looked down at all. Yeah. Uh, I don't. I don't see questions yet. But I'm getting an echo. Uh, oh really? Is it coming from me? Um. Maybe, but uh, it's anyway. It's gone. I see Lisa in the audience. Maybe Lisa can uh, share some questions or thoughts. So I will Lisa, unmute. Lisa, is is it uh, if you're unmuted? Is yeah. there an echo for you? Oh, I'm hearing that. Yes. Hi, everybody. I'm hearing the echo, and I think it is yours. Might be yours. Huh. But I don't have any questions. I'm, it's kind of interesting to see to, to get this uh, insight into the West because I don't know much about this area of the country. I've never lived out there, and so so it's kind of fun to hear this. Cool. Right. Let's see if doing this a little differently we can get rid of this echo. I'm going to go back to my iPhone and I'll use it to just take pictures of the screen. So I'm going to actually jump off just for a second, Mark, so I don't get a feedback. Um, so I'll just jump okay. out and then I'll get back on. Okay. I think the echo is gone. It might be good now. I'm not is hearing it? it. Yeah, I'm not hearing anymore. Anybody in the audience, if you want to throw a thought in about just just in the chat about whether you're hearing an echo. Don't want to have that, obviously, um, because I'm not hearing it at all. Usually everybody hears it, but just doesn't mean that it's not there. Lisa, are you guys expecting a, a cold front to come in? Um, they, they say pretty much nationwide, it's, this is going to be a sort of coldest weekend so far this year. I mean, literally to where like some places in the Northeast, there'll be um, low highs in the twenties and lows in the teens and such. No, my, I'm in the uh, New York Metro area. I'm in the Northeast in New Jersey. So we are looking at a nice weekend in the seventies. So we're kind of getting one of those picture perfect fall weekends. So I'm sure everybody's happy to be able to see the fall foliage in some sunlight and some warm weather. I'm stopping sharing here, Mark, so. Yeah, uh, audience uh, comments um, says, uh, Faye says, no echo with me. Uh, and then I guess it's all good. Um, Alicia has a question. So the reasoning behind Boise namesake is much, much simpler. Let's uh, go back to 1800 when French uh, Canadian trappers first discovered Boise. They were so happy. Okay, so I think this is the history. She's writing about this and she has a link. Uh, okay, so trappers were settlers, so those are the kinds of people that went through here, yeah. Right. So there's no question here. 
Okay. Well, there have been some fairly major environmental and ecological topics going on in the news worldwide in the last week or so. Um, and a lot of the, the things that are, that are being discussed relate to um, trying to move closer and closer to carbon neutrality. And, and I just thought I'd mention that, that if you've got questions or thoughts about that topic, we could talk a little more about it. There's all kinds of things going on. Um, there's a movement towards um, banning certain kinds of appliances, for example. And I'm not rendering an opinion on that one way or the other. I'm just saying that it's occurring. And uh, so there's there's a, a, a lot of uh, a lot of kind of governmental activities that could have huge impacts on uh, on the on the, on the uh, way we live. Um, and hopefully, they would have good positive impacts on on the uh, the earth and, and the planet also. So. Um, because I've been focused on moving lately, uh, one of the things that I uh, have noticed is um, vehicles and, and how they're changing. Um, you do see lots out here in the West, more electric vehicles than you did previously. Uh, trucks even. Uh, my, my son, I've mentioned before, has a FedEx franchise, Federal Express, and he is, uh, we've got a fleet of about 26 vehicles that are on the road, of which seven of them are all electric. And um, it can work for him because his routes, that the, the, the deliveries that they do, are somewhere between 60 and 70 miles. And the, you know, the truck range right now for... Um, for electric trucks is somewhere in the 100 mile range, uh, if not just a little longer. So starting to really see some change there. And um, again, when you're out on the road, you see a lot of, uh, a lot more cars uh, that are in that. Uh, in, in a, uh, the mode of being some, some kind of power other than, than fossil fuels. Um, I, hydrogen, you wouldn't be able to tell a car that was burning hydrogen um, from a fossil fuel look, probably, um, if you were driving by it. And, uh, but it's also a very carbon-friendly type of uh, circumstance, and mainly it has very little for emissions, just like... Uh, electric vehicles do. Uh, as a matter of fact, it, its discharge is, is water vapor. And again, there's an argument that would say that additional water vapor in the air will also um, reduce the potential for uh, warming circumstances. So um, that that's that's, turns out to be a real positive. Um, Lisa had some cool things that she has been doing recently, and we're going to have some webinars coming up from some people involved in 
uh, intentional types of communities. And we talked about um, a specific type uh, in our uh, call that we had the other day with our staff. And Lisa, do you, do you mind telling the group a little bit about um, a community type that one of our speakers that's coming up soon is going to be talking, or at least they're involved in, so I'm assuming they're going to talk some about that. Oh, sure. Yeah, um, there's uh, an author, uh, Joe Weston, who uh, he's not involved in any specific community, but what he does is he he he, he wrote a book uh, this year, uh, released his book, Fierce Civility. His first book was Respectful Confrontation. And his material is about how to build uh, clear respectful communication between uh, between people and within groups so uh, that people can really relate to each other um, from a heart-centered and respectful place. And this is, I know that a lot of people who are in the regenerative, um, interested in regenerative uh, climate change solutions and uh, living off grid, are also doing their projects in community. So it means that a lot of people coming from, a, from various backgrounds are coming together and um, needing working collaboratively. So sometimes our style of communication uh, needs to have some skills or some brush ups. Sometimes we bring some of our, our uh, communication habits, maybe we haven't had some, you know, easy ways of communicating. Um, and so it's really a lot about collaborative conflict resolution. And one of my favorite things about Joe, uh, I've been studying with Joe for 10 years. So I, what he brings to the world is really beautiful because he can, he brings compassion and understanding for, you know, the practice of being centered in our own selves and having um, clear boundaries, but also um, about opening up and listening compassionately to other opinions or needs. And that way, uh, what it opens up is the possibility for uh, solutions that um, to be co-created between um, the parties involved. So it's it's really interesting. Um, he has a really uh, beautiful way of of sharing his material, and I, I think the community is going to really appreciate it. Um, and you can use it, and it's good for all areas of your life. But I know a lot of um, intentional style communities, or collaborative groups, or volunteer groups um, really appreciate this material. So I think we'll, and especially, you know, we need it more now than ever uh, to be able to have challenging conversations and in kind ways. So that's the best way I can describe that. Yeah, I um, um, pulled up a couple of web pages here about the other way you've described it to us, at least, is, is kind of social permaculture or, uh, or social regenerative living, those two descriptions. 
And yeah. Uh, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Social permaculture is, uh, you know, we take those principles in our social lives and then also take, you know, it's, it's also regenerative. So when there's regenerative communication, like when there's communication breakdown, how do you uh, reestablish open communication? And um, one of the things that he's the that fierce civility is about is um, transforming our, the subtitle is transforming our global culture from polarization to lasting peace. And peace isn't stagnant in uh, the way Joe describes it. Peace is, a, is something, it's like, how do, we, how do we move together? And polarization actually creates stagnation. So just the same way in permaculture and regenerative practices, we wanna you know, keep that loop of, of um, you know, the cycles and the loops of, uh, of successive um, ecosystems. We look at groups and organizations like an ecosystem. So that's one of the ways to translate it. So the principles can be uh, used uh, both in when we're looking at you know, revitalizing soil or an eco ecosystem, we can also look at a community and its social ecosystem and you know, where the what's working, what's thriving and what's stagnant. So it's, it's an interesting tool. Interesting way to look at yeah, it's an interesting, it's a nice perspective. It's a new way of of looking at it, at communication. Because I think a lot of our communication that I know I've grown up with and been, you know, having a marketing background is about convincing and, you know, winning the argument and who's right. And in this model, everybody's perspective is is valued. And you know what are the possibilities? And the question is, what are the possibilities that can happen when uh, when everyone's perspective is valued? Which is is so important. I think maybe even more so today than it's been in the past, because we seem to, at least the press plays it as if um, a, a number of people's attitudes are. If your view is different than mine, then we have to be in conflict because uh, my view is clearly right and yours is wrong. And therefore, you know, I don't even want to hear your view. And I don't think it's appropriate that your view is even put out there. It doesn't really matter what the topic is. But so there's there's a lack of civility. Uh, a lack of, of, of anything you know, that you describe in a positive sense in a lot of a lot of attitudes that you see, or at least that are publicized, right? And, and that leads to the word, you know, that you, we hear more and more, which is that we have a cancel culture. Um, so there's no really, there's no, no reason for that. It's so much more um, socially acceptable and there's probably lots of other adjectives and words you can use but to, to to just respect the fact that other people's views might be different than yours 
um, on any topic. And doesn't mean they're right and you're wrong, or you're, you know, they're, you're wrong or you're right and they're wrong. It just means it's different. And honestly, if you believe so strongly that yours is the right view, then you should defend it, but defend it in a civil way. Um, and so I love that fierce civility. It's a great, great uh, description. How far yeah. out is the publishing time for the book? So the book is was published this spring. So the book is available oh. online. Yeah. And uh, just to, you know, add on to what you were saying about the, uh, the coming up with solutions, you know, one of the goals about this is, a, is about the group being able to listen to each other and being able to design solutions that are resilient and sustainable because everyone has input into it. So a lot of times, you know, things are, solutions are shifting and changing because you don't, you have to change them or, you know, this gives it like a, uh, an ability for the solutions to um, come from the, from a, a collaborative perspective. Yeah, we're all, and everyone gets to be heard. So each, each perspective is is valued, so it's it's kind of interesting. Um, it's it's a uh, it's something that I've been exploring personally and changing, and and uh, and I've found that it's been had some really great uh, applications in even really small ways. And um, the book is available on Amazon, and I think you're going to really enjoy. Joe has a great personal story uh, about how he came to write this material. And he has one of my favorite things is how he talks about conflict and, you know, that con that con confrontation, he's shifted the meaning of the word confrontation for me because we think of confrontation as, as violence, but confrontation is in what he taught teaches is that it's about speaking up for what you believe in and even sharing appreciations for people is uh, you know, confrontational. So he puts it, he has a, a martial arts background. So he talks about it like we're, we're in practice with each other to help each other be stronger at our communication and authenticity. So part of that confrontation is being, you know, how to be more authentic in our communications. So it's really nice. I think people will enjoy it. I hope people do. So, um, Mark, why don't you pull up um, his his project website is called FierceCivility.org. Fierce spelled F-I-E-R-C-E, all one word, FierceCivility.org. And... Um, just pull that page up and share it while we're talking. Obviously, the book is just one part of all the kinds of things that he's doing. So he, he has seminars and lectures. Um, he's got a workshop that, that he does. Um, he does what he calls ambassador training. Um, and then does mediation and consulting. So... I'm assuming that that works in 
to where, you know, again, he's, uh, he gets uh, involved. Lisa, if you happen to have the link to his website, maybe that would be easier, easier for me to pull it up. Okay, there it is. I, ha I have it, Mark. I can put it up. Oh, I got it. Okay. I was going to say, I bet Alicia gets it faster than any of us. Um, you, it sounds like you know him well enough. I'm curious, does, does he, do you get the sense that he does do a good amount of the, the, the consulting and mediation as it relates to situations where you know, the, the people would be having a conflict situation and, and they, they'd like to learn how to, to, to manage it in a more civil way. Yeah, he works with a lot of uh, activists and <clears throat> advocates and, um, you know, a lot of people who are advocating for social change or cultural change or environmental change. And uh, the conversations uh, in there are challenging. So how do we, how do, so his, his approach is how do we build bridges between the different um, organizations, the agencies, how do we figure out how we can, how we can uh, be able to be heard as advocates. And he uses a lot of uh, regenerative um, uh, language in his, in, in the book. So uh, let's see. Oh, I just had a quote here. Now I closed the book. So, and so it's about um, finding new alliances and fostering healing and re reconciliation, breaking the grid gridlock. So um, on the path to fear civility, he has five steps. So I'm going to read it in and step one is breaking the gridlock of stagnant polarization. So that's um, where we're just uh, stuck in this spiral of um, throwing uh, facts and figures at each other and uh, being in uh, what, I, what I like to refer to as the tribalism, my side's better than your side. And then step two is fostering healing and reconciliation. So how do we put down our um, perceptions and really see uh, who's on the other side, you know, seeing the, the, the people on the other side from a heart-centered place and then finding new alliances and finding where your commonalities are and let's see, where's the other steps? And Whoa, then the next holy. one is setting groundwork for inclusive and diverse collaborations. So that's how, how do we set that up? And he's, he's, the book's nicely outlined, you know, um, and it's about learning about each other, engaging with curiosity, just the same way that, you know, we, we look at an environment when we're doing ecological restoration and, you know, um, finding, you know, finding the clues in 
in the finding the best places for regeneration. And then, then step five is designing the new resilient and sustainable solutions. So that is, uh, so that's the pathway, the five steps that he outlines. Uh, so he takes it from um, winner loser into winner winner. So, and really he talks about uh, confrontation as benevolent benevolent competition. So it's from a respectful place. Well, all very cool. Um, I just thought of something back almost 12, it would be 20 years ago now. Um, I was very fortunate to, to own and um, be a partner with other folks in a outdoor adventure camp um, in Colorado called Gold Camp. And we've talked about it a little bit before, but one of our major um, successes, I believe, that we had during the about eight year period that we, that we operated Gold Camp was we did um, a variety of different active team building um, games and activities with groups. And the groups could be anything from boards of directors of a company to leadership teams of, of uh, organizations. We did a lot with different uh, educational groups. So the, the staff, um, administration staff at a school, and then a number of the teachers also involved. Um, but maybe the one that, that, I, that hits me the most, and we had a lot of different ways that we did the team building. Uh, and usually it was over a period of at least a couple of days and it was outdoors and it was all active where it was um, everybody involved would be physically active as well as verbally active and, um, um, and, and hopefully achieve uh, some, some benefit. Well, anyway, the, the one that probably I remember the most uh, and this particular game, I'll call it, um, had a lot of different outcomes that I can recall. And if you've never done it, sometime you should um, get in a situation where you have a facilitator. It does take that uh, and do this because it doesn't take much of a set of tools to do it. But uh, in this case, um, I've talked about this a lot, so I can mention the name of the company that was involved. So it was a board of directors of Minute Maid. So Minute Maid is, a, uh, I think, a Coca-Cola company, maybe owned by the, the large corporate entity, Coca-Cola. And um, their board of directors, and they make things like juices of all different kinds. Their, their board of directors came to our camp and and, and stayed for a long weekend and did a number of these team building activities. Well, the one that, that I'm describing was again, a simple one, but one where the outcomes were just unbelievable and it relates to conflict um, and, and also to lack of understanding on the part of a 
the team about the fact in, in some cases that there that even conflict is existing. So the game was this. Um, there was a log that was laying on the ground and it was about 12, 15 to 20 feet long and about 12 inches tall. Um, so it was actually a, a telephone pole and it had been cut shorter than its normal length. So it was safe. It wasn't very far up off the ground. And the way the exercise worked, and I think the, the Minute Maid group was about 10 people, um, was that um, the facilitator, in this case it was me, um, would, would set up a scenario and describe that to the, uh, to the people involved. By the way, thanks for the, the thumbs up coming from people. It's always nice to see. And that's one of the cool things, I think, about Zoom versus GoToWebinar, that you can have the, that sort of visual rather than just put ones in if you like something. Um, so anyway, uh, the, the scenario was, was this. Um, your, you, you as a team, um, in this case, the board of directors of Minime, um, are going to be on an island and this log over here is the island. And this island is out in the middle of a river in the Amazon. Um, and it is surrounded by waters that are infested with um, very vicious and man-eating fish. Um, and you, you, you don't ever see people in the community go swimming or go out into the water um, in the Amazon River. There's, there's places that they could swim on the island itself, but, but not on the river. Um, there is another island that is um, a, a few, uh, a little distance away in which you, you have to go get food. And, um, and to get there, you've got to use boats typically. Um, but in this case, the island is going to be this log and the boat is not going to be a boat. It's going to be a, a, a plank of wood, uh, 12 inches wide and 12 feet long that you're going to use. And the food that you have to get is a cup that we would place about eight feet from the log and you have to use the tool, primarily this plank of wood and then your skills to get the food from the island and bring it back to the, to the group, in this case, your board of directors, to, to be able to survive. And if you can't get the food there, you'll starve to death. If you fall in the water, which means fall off the log or fall off the plank or any way end up on the ground, you are immediately eaten by the fish and you're out of the, uh, of the tribe, obviously, or the group. So anyway. We, we tell them that you can take about five minutes to strategize and then you grab the plank, you, you grab your, your transportation to get to the food and you go out and arrange yourself in any way that you want on the log. Now the log is, is only wide enough that any one person can be uh, in an 
on it in one location. So everybody has to st stand sort of in a line. So the group would, lots of approaches that different groups would take. And in this case, the, the board of directors of Minute Maid got out on the log. And I'm going to simplify getting you to the end here. Um, very rarely that we ever did this game did the group end up getting the food. <laughs> Almost always failed. However, it was very possible to succeed. And what would happen if they failed? And failing meant that everybody would either fall in the water and die, or there'd maybe one or two left and they just couldn't figure out how to get to the food. And they wouldn't typically quit, but instead the facilitator, in this case me, would 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 say, you're you're done. There was also a limitation on the time frame because if you didn't get the food within a, a given period of time, you would starve. Um, and, and then also uh, there were maladies that would hit you, diseases, things, um, because you're not getting food. So while they're out on the log, the facilitator, who's really acting as, quote, God, would, would make some decisions about things that would go wrong with people that were on the log. It was really only usually two things. One, um, if you put a blindfold over somebody that was on the log, or you'd, you'd take away their voice and you'd say, you, you can't speak. Have you ever ever seen anything, Lisa, like this in a, a team building sort of mode, this, this kind of a game? I haven't seen this exact game, but I've seen similar things. Similar, yeah. No. This sounds- Anyway. Sounds specific, um, especially challenging, yeah. And, and it sounds really physical. And by the way, these, these people on this board were maybe the youngest person in the board was 40. And the average age was, was over 60 probably. So it was, and there is some physical skill, but but it's it's not physical to succeed. It really was is mental and teamwork. Um, you have to absolutely work together as a team. And then lastly, you actually have to be willing to get some help. And 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 in this case, the facilitator. Part of what you tell the group when they start is if you literally want God, the facilitator, to help you as a you need to talk to uh, to the facilitator, and you can do it as a group. There's only two ways you can do it. The whole group can just whisper to each other, and, and you pick a spokesperson, and that spokesperson can then talk to God, talk to the facilitator. Or if any one of you individually wants to talk, you can just gesture towards me, and I'll come over to you, and I'll, you can whisper to me because it'd be just like you were in some way praying or whatever and mentally having a communication. So it doesn't just doesn't have anything to do with any specific religion or anything, but it does have to do with the fact that that probably there, there's some other, there's some kind of a higher power out there that's having some impact on things that are going on. Anyway, um, this group failed. And, but they persisted for a long time. And um, it was really obvious as they were doing it that there was conflict. It wasn't like somebody you know, pushed somebody off the log, which I've seen that happen in other cases. It also wasn't so strong that one of the people told another person, 
know, hey, Bob, why don't you just shut up because your ideas don't make any sense or whatever. But it, you could tell, I could tell. And by the way, there are other observers that are involved, other staff members that are observing what's going on. Because probably what the best value that comes out of this is, is a discussion that occurs afterwards. And usually you'll have two different discussions with the facilitator and the team of other counselors and the group. One that occurs after the failure. And then usually you give the group a chance to do it again and see if they can succeed. And you've pretty much told them how to succeed by that point. And, and so they, they can't. By the way, is anybody in the audience or on staff that hasn't done this? Can you figure out what you have to do physically to make this work, to get to succeed? Give up, give some ideas, Lisa. Or, or Mark, or anybody wants to write theirs, it's in the audience. Well, I'll, I'll give a hint. It, it, it I, has to do with. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not able to, to figure it out. Well, it has to do with the plank. And you have to get the plank, because remember, I said it was eight feet out, and the plank is 12 feet long. So if you just balance the plank in the middle, where six feet of it were on one side, six on the other, you still couldn't reach because somebody got way out to the end of it, they would not be able to reach it. So the reality is you've got to get more than half of that plank over the log. And almost all groups figure that out, but what they don't figure out is how do they get that? How do they get that to work? Well, it, it, it ends up working by the way you balance people and with in this case, about 10, I think it was 10 people. It's actually way more than enough people to make it work. You'll get a certain number of people standing on the short side of it or sitting or somehow to where they're not going into the water. Remember, it's just a log that's that high. So you can't really sit very easily unless the, your feet are up on, on it. So usually it's standing up. Other people are supporting them, which they can do. And then you take your smallest person and you have them crawl out on the plank to the end and they reach out and they, they grab the, the cup, which is the food. Sometimes you say it's actually a, that there's a disease on the island and that that's where the med it's medicine for the disease. That's another way you can describe what it is that, that the group's attempted to do. Well, anyway, in the case of Minute Maid, we finished all of this and they failed. Um, I don't remember exactly if they ultimately quit or if, if I called time, I don't think I called time in this case, or everybody fell in the water. But when they were done, it was really obvious that there was unstated conflict going on in this group. And the biggest was that the CEO was so singularly in control that they would not, that, that person would not allow anybody else to really give any ideas. It, they would listen and they would make it seem like they were allowing other ideas to be given, but they wouldn't implement any of them. <laughs> this person was a good enough manager of people that, that they just basically ignored or somehow just kindly said, no, I don't think that's a very good idea. Let's just try something else or whatever. Well, eventually I kind of put an end to that 
And I told that the CEO, you, you can't talk anymore. Uh, and so that person then wasn't able to at least verbally communicate. It, it still didn't make things better because there was another person that was the next person to try to take over a leadership role. And then still that person wasn't really listening to a lot. Well, anyway, we're now after the event and doing this debriefing and one of the other staff members, and we talk also before we do this so that we have our thoughts in mind, said to the CEO, so do you feel like in this adventure that, that you really dominated in terms of the way that you were trying to get things to work? Oh, no, I, I'm really good about teamwork. I, I, I allow all, a lot of input. I, no, I don't think I was. So I then, I remember vividly, pointed over to the CFO who literally made it look like he accidentally, by the way, there were I think eight men and two women on this board. And this was a number of years ago, 20 years ago. So that women were not as balanced in terms of numbers as they are today. Um, but um, the, C, the CFO had made it look like that it accidentally fell in the water, but instead they basically took a dive. <laughs> so I said that, I said, and we knew all the names. So let's say the name was John. John, do you feel like you were heard at all in the game? And at first he said, oh, yeah, probably. I, I don't usually give a lot of advice. And, and, and I, I, I had some ideas. And yeah, I think so. I said, what about, you know, when you fell in the water? You, did, did that happen accidentally or did you do that on purpose? Well, it was accident. I said, are you sure? And, and I said, remember, I'm God here. And I saw everything that was going on. And, and John kind of went, well, you know, maybe kind of I, I sort of jumped in, but I, it was, I was slipping. Oh, okay. Well, does that happen in, in your business? Do, do you feel like you get listened to in the business? Anyway, bottom line, after five minutes of conversation, and the CEO jumped in several other times when he shouldn't have probably also, John finally said, you know what? No, I'm never listened to. I don't get heard at all. And yeah, I jumped in the water. I jump out of meetings whenever I can because I don't want to have anything to do because nobody ever listens to me. <laughs> it was just amazing. Well, anyway, if it would have all ended with that, that wouldn't have been a lot of value that would have happened and occurred. But it didn't because we kept in track, uh, in touch with this board. And they actually got back to us and we asked them to do this. They changed their management style pretty dramatically afterwards. The CEO actually, um, I think, resigned, uh, retired, sort of moved on. The company's profits swelled, went through the roof after this, you know, in a really not very good economic time after it was done. And it, it, the culture of this whole board changed pretty dramatically. Um, when they all realized that there were just things that they weren't even discussing. So back to the Joe Weston and the conflict and, and civility, um, in a, a fierce civility in a, in a situation. Sometimes you, you don't even know that there's a conflict occurring and that people aren't getting along and it takes something to kind of dramatically. So I bet they do some of that, Lisa, in the workshops and different things that they do. So. Oh yeah, the uh, dignity and being valued. Yeah, personal agency and uh, yeah, building really building uh, relationships. That's 
yeah, that's a really, that's exact, it's right in there, just the same. Yep. Well, let's, uh, we're at the top of the hour. And Mark, do you see any other questions or comments from anybody? Great discussion today about, about a topic that is very important. Yeah, I see a bunch of questions uh, from the audience. So okay. let me scroll back up because the chat has been rolling. Um, so I'm, okay, so here is one. Any thoughts about microorganisms and their impact on soil, soil carbon? Obviously, they have a huge impact, and that's a that's a, a twenty week session just to describe. We've had it, by the way, Elaine Ingham, Mark Shepard, uh, you name it. All of our speakers have talked. It, clearly, one of the things that's misunderstood in an ecosystem because you don't see them; they're they're not visible. They're small, and and they're under the ground, or they're in the water, or they're whatever. Is, is the impact of microorganisms on any kind of ecosystem dynamics. And so, yeah, so obviously very, very important. And I would love it if you would recommend, if anybody has recommendations of people you know, don't just pick a name because you'd like to hear them, but that we could ask to be speakers and talk about that topic. We get asked questions about that more often than a lot of other areas. So that would be All cool. Right. Yeah, and we uh, have a lot of great resources on that on the Eat Elite community. So there's lots of resource and information there. So courses available for people to listen to. Great. Here's a follow-up. So if we plant more trees and more cover crops, will that help sequester carbon uh, from the atmosphere? Uh, that that's I don't think there's I don't think that's at all controversial. I think everybody that has thought about it realizes that trees can play a great role in carbon sequestration and in places, especially where trees have been eliminated from ecosystems, um, planting new ones and starting that revegetation can have huge value. Now I'm going to maybe put a little. Uh, damper on that statement broadly though and say you take an area like i'm at right here in an arid desert where way back in history before human beings had any impact or even here or if there were humans around it was native, it was uh, i'm going to call them native americans indigenous indigenous yeah they were moving around and they would never stay in any given location for any long period of time. You would not have seen trees here. And if you plant trees in a native environment where trees don't naturally grow, I'm not sure that is a positive. And we need to think about that. Um, now, in a city, in a place where you've already had all kinds of other degradation, and, and, and if, if trees are planted because they're going to be used for shade or a variety of other reasons, there that you could serve maybe multiple purposes, including sequestration, by planting trees where maybe you wouldn't normally have them. 
but just taking a, a piece of land and, and uh, out in, the, in a place where trees aren't native and starting to plant trees there is probably not going to be the best ecological solution in the long term, at least, maybe even in the short term. All right. So here's another one. Any thoughts about mussel reefs uh, helping coastal areas mitigate flooding? Mussels, M-U-S-S-E-L, like a... Um, Correct. Yes, M-U-S-S-E-L. Well, in many cases, in many places along coastlines, the native populations of, of uh, mussels, clams, um, all kinds of, of invertebrates, uh, animals, um, have declined. And in some cases, they're gone. Um, and I think... A, a better solution long term would to see would be to see if we could get those those native populations back. Will adding a bunch of mussels to some location that that, that where they weren't native naturally in some kind of a population density create some situation and improve stability of, of a water source? No. I think that's the wrong solution. And there's all kinds of evidence of that in freshwater environments where there are specific mussels and clams. Mussel is just another word for a clam. Uh, they're a different variety that, have be, that were planted, that were put in thinking they were going to do some good, but they became so dominant in their, in their densities that they, they choked off water supplies, for example. And in, in many states in the Western United States, there's a couple different mussel species, which they're not native, they're, they're weeds, essentially, they, they're not native. They have created huge ecological problems. Um, so you gotta be really careful. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't try to bring populations and communities back, but I would say just to think that you could put muscles somewhere and create a solution is not necessarily the right idea. All right. So a couple of more questions here. So here's one. No, no doubt about it. There is a higher power that keeps order in the universe. Any thoughts? It's a topic for a discussion, for sure. And again, I believe that, but there are a lot of people that don't believe that. And it would be fun to have a discussion in an open and uh, honest manner about why people believe, believe that versus those that don't. So. All right. Um, and here is one. Trial and error and persistence and good communications and team respect and good listening and and minimal arguing. Any thoughts? So these are, she's like um, communication skills. So yeah, I, I think these are all good. What about your yeah, thoughts? Those are all really good points and good thoughts. Uh, I, I, I'll, again, maybe disagree with one word there, although maybe it's just the definition of the word, which is arguing. It is, is an argument 
de defined as something that's not constructed. And if it isn't, then I don't think arguing is good. If arguing just means disagreeing and, um, and in a civil way, expressing your disagreement and your thoughts, I don't think that's bad at all. It's a good thing. And I don't think we do enough of it, honestly. Um, so, but I don't know that, I, I think maybe what was described there meant being, you know, argumentative means to be so sure that what you're just, that you're uh, trying to support is right and, and, and almost being hostile to the other, that person. That's not, that's not a good thing at all. Right. And then she says, um, agree to disagree. Any thoughts? <laughs> Saying here. All right, so I think we're done with questions. We're all caught up. Cool. Well, what a yeah. great interactive time for the. Go ahead, Lisa. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, no, I was just going to uh, weigh in on the last couple questions. And, you know, those are really great questions to uh, join in and ask Joe himself because th there's different applications and belief systems associated with those questions. So I would be curious about delving into deeper uh, to the situations a little bit on those questions. So those are a little hard to answer in 30 seconds, but uh, stay tuned for and join us and join us with Joe. Uh, save yeah. those questions. Yeah. And what date is that, Lisa? I'm we don't have a date yet. It looks like it's coming up in January or did Jan, he? Jan, January. Yeah. I think, yeah. Yeah. We're going to start off at start off the year with, with that. So. But we do have a great session coming up, I think on November 6th, right, Mark? November 6th. Yep. That's correct. With Amy. And Amy was actually a audience member on one of our sessions a couple of weeks ago and told us about what some of the things are that she does and we asked her if she'd come on and speak, and she's going to do that. So we're excited about it. And we'd love to have any yep. of you. you. I know all of you have topics that you're experts in. That's the whole point of our e webinars and podcasts are to just let people express and talk about their passions and things that they have any level of expertise in. So anyway, we are over time. You guys have been very patient staying with us, and uh, it's I always enjoy it and go Rams. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Have a great week. All right. Thanks, hey. everybody. Thanks, Mark. Bye. Thanks, Lisa. Talk to everybody later. Bye bye. Bye. Hey, everybody. I bet you enjoyed that immensely. That was one of our most amazing presentations here at the EAT community. Please look forward to our next podcast in the very near future, and we look forward to seeing you again on the EAT Community Podcast.